0: Welcome
1: back to The Host Dispatch. I'm Claire. Hi, my name's Anar, and we had a fun little discussion last night about hoping you can all differentiate our voices, but (laughs) I think we have um, very different voices, so
0: you're going to be fine. This is season four, if you can believe it. We we have been at it for a while, and I Mm -hmm. think we say each other's names (laughs) here and there, but I just thought we could say hello. Um, Welcome to season four. Yeah. Welcome to season
1: four. Um, I think our season three ended in November. It did. And it has been a whirlwind since, but we are coming back at you refreshed, relaxed, you know, just ready to go. Ready to party. And we're bringing to you Pure nonsense today. So that's right. Yeah, just settle in.
0: It takes a little bit of the pressure off. Yeah,
1: zero pressure because none of this is real. <laughs> You're dreaming, but yeah, we were asking the very, very big and very important question of what the hell is Dada?
0: What is Dada?
1: <laughs> what is Dada. Yeah. How do you even say
0: dada? Yeah. Is it dada? No. (laughs) That's the only way I say that we can't say it. So yeah,
1: we're continuing our series of um, what the hell, because when you've read enough submissions and poetry as we have, you're just like, "I, I don't know what poetry is. It all begins to look amazing and it all begins to look terrible and you begin to question everything you've ever known um it's almost like when you look at a word you've typed out a million times or written a million times and you're just like that's not how you spell house (laughs) (laughs) yeah that's that's not right at all um and so yeah we're just sitting around the office being like What the hell is a line break? Mm -hmm. Which is an episode we did. And we've got some other episodes lined up for the future, but we're like, let's get silly with it. We are both very passionate about the avant-garde movements of the 20th century. And I think Dada is a very, very special one to both of us. So we don't know what it is? Um, <laughs> no one knows what it is. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. People know what it is. It's a thing. um But we're just gonna we're gonna go pure data mm. and explore this with you and ask some fun questions and get silly with it.
0: Yeah, this will be the interpretive dance episode as close as we can get an episode to interpretive dance. <laughs> Um, No. But I also think of the WTH series as asking the dumb questions like, what the hell is a line break? What the hell is Dada? Maybe you've heard about it before. Maybe you haven't. But in either case, whether you're aware of it or not, I think Dada, this is my hot take, Dada is something we've begun to take for granted in contemporary poetry, especially contemporary American poetry, which is what I can speak to um, the closest. And it is a formative part of how we think about poetry, whether we know about it or not, because it was an artistic movement that gave everybody permission to break all the rules, which we all take full advantage of. (laughs) Every day of our lives as poets now, so I think that's the short take on on why I feel like it's a good one, even though it's gonna have a little bit of history involved, and it's not just like a basic poetic element. Um, at the end of the day, it is nonsense. The word itself, "da da," is nonsense. Yeah, I do love, obviously, everything you you just
1: said, but <laughs> so I have this beautiful memory of. Going to Portland with the host publications team and such a memorable trip. But we flew out there and we popped into a bookstore where we saw Jericho Brown read. And, you know, we're flying. But I buy this massive <laughs> <laughs> book on Dada. It's a fade on book. It's like an art book. I'm showing it to Claire right now. Amazing. And I believe it was my carry-on. Yeah. Uh, I loved it so much. I really, It really resonated with me. A lot of it is art and not so much writing that came from Dada. But in it, I was reading that Greal Marcus, you know, Rolling Stones icon, Mm -hmm. traced, like, the roots of punk back to Dada in that, like, you know, when you start to read about the Dada movement, Everyone was so punky and bad and mm-hmm. there was obviously a lot of absurdism. But, yeah, it did give permission for people to return to almost like a baby-like, playful and wild, primal place. Um, and we wish we didn't need permission yeah.
0: to to be that way but but uh your punk rock connection in that book is so accurate because at the heart of the dada movement is anarchy and i think that's an important thing for us to Mm. remember transposed into 2023 now and as we get farther and farther into the future farther away from what that movement was it's easy to think of it as just a fun-loving, goofy, explosive, irreverent movement for art. But it did have a purpose behind it, and that purpose was anarchy and protest against World War One. So we've, we're not going to talk about World War One that much on this episode. I don't really want to. I just think it's really important to remember that... Dada, but also surrealism. And when we're talking about avant garde movements, it's not nonsense just for the sake of nonsense. It's nonsense as a way to like break down the rational mind. I feel like that's part of what punk rock does, which is just to sort of like break apart these social structures or break apart, even just in music, like what the ear we think our ears want to hear. It's like, here's something you don't want to hear.
1: I'm so excited. (laughs) I'm like, where do I even start? Um, Okay, so very, very important information here is that it did spawn off of the grief and the horror and the displacement Mm -hmm. and the rage and the heartbreak. Artists who like created something from absolutely nothing, like Mm -hmm. having nothing left inside, having nothing in the world, losing the people that they love. And so that is kind of where we begin with the Dada movement. And the context of of these huge art movements is definitely should always be considered. And, you know, in reading, reading these artists work, you really do get a sense for almost a despair that is like yeah it has no words so you just start to babble or you create this intense litany or like you're just desperate to grab onto a thread of reality and that's kind of like the way it feels which when I read I mean Tristan Zara is I'm obsessed um (laughs) that is kind of who resonates with me most in the Dada movement but um but yeah. But thank you, Claire. Is there any other context we should consider?
0: I, I mean, I think there's just so much to say about all of that. I think that, you know, it's a recreation of reality or a resistance to what the reality was. And I guess the other piece of that that's important about Dada is that it began in exile. So it began in Zurich. Switzerland, which is where a lot of artists had to flee other parts of Europe, especially Germany, to find refuge. So, yeah, that's pretty punk rock, too, is that it's like you were saying it was born from this place of, of suffering and grief. And yet when you actually encounter the writing and the visual art of the movement, it's so incredibly goofy and playful and then you'll turn a corner or turn a page, and all of a sudden you're in the depths of despair. Um It's a really wild ride, and the only thing you can expect is the unexpected that's um, it's very subversive in that way. It's always trying to subvert your expectations and um it's a it's a it's a lot of fun, even if it's not like your jam, if it's not your favorite kind of poetry, and I'll admit. I love it for what it is, and I love reading it. I love that, what it does to my brain, but it may not be the poetry of my heart. It may not be the poetry that I that I would say I love the most, um, but, oh, my God, what a wild ride to, to read the poems and also the manifestos, which we'll get to. Oh, the we'll get manifestos to. are <laughs> so much fun. Yes, um, they are.
1: So sick. Okay, so... Claire, was there a specific time period in which something would be categorized within the Dada movement?
0: Yeah, totally. So uh, I believe it's from 1916 to 1924. Okay. Um, World War One ended in 1918. Um, so the movement had a little bit of life after that. Um, and as artistic movements do, it evolved and changed and then birthed another movement, which was later known as surrealism. So it is really important in that way, whereas like most people have heard of surrealism, but not everybody's heard of Dada. So that's also kind of cool. Oh my gosh.
1: There's so many brilliant scholars who Mm -hmm. can speak to the movements and the artists that were born from the Dada movement. A lot of these artists themselves ended up adopting different movements throughout their life as artists. And like every juicy moment in history, there is conflict, Mm -hmm. there is division, there's drama. So you do hear about (laughs) some um, friends falling out and um, going separate ways and denouncing certain movements. And so there's a lot out there. But I would recommend if you can get your hands on anything Mary Marianne Cause yeah. has written about the Dada movement. She's incredible, and Claire and I are just here learning with you.
0: Yeah, we also are compiling a short reading list for anyone who's interested in the books that we've we've encountered that we like a lot. So that'll be in the show notes. Yeah. I think it's also important to say that, you know, there's there's so many cool artists in this movement from different countries. There are of course women artists associated now with Dada, but none of these people were heroes. They were in resistance to the war the degradation of art all of this all of this stuff is really cool but these people are not heroes (laughs) they are people and they are of their time which is the early 1900s so there was rampant sexism and for that reason we love to highlight editors and scholars like Marianne Cause, who takes a woman's perspective on these movements and can praise people like Tristan Zara and what he what he made and what he created without overlooking the obvious problems that were inherent in in this movement. And also, I, I think we're going to try to focus on some of the women who um are now being given their due as much as possible by, by scholars of the avant-garde. Nicely said, Claire. We can transition into talking about the artists that we love and maybe even read some of the work. What do you think? I'd love that.
1: Okay, so Claire, was it like 10 months ago, maybe 11 months ago, where you let me borrow a little book of manifestos?
0: Yes. Seven Dada Manifestos and Lampestries by Tristan Zara.
1: And I was like reading this and like giggling like a schoolgirl. I was just so (laughs) amused and was like, oh, I get it. Um, Yeah. It all makes so much sense. I had so much fun, but... If you're curious about Tristan Zara's Seven Manifestos, I think it's quite easy to find at an affordable price, Um, probably at your local used bookstore. It's kind of a book that I think a lot of folks studying poetry might be assigned or encounter. But is there a manifesto or a portion of a manifesto that you wanted to share with us today to kind of prime our brains?
0: Yes, I'm going to read from... The second one in the book titled Dada Manifesto 1918. And I think something you really liked about this, Anar, which we can talk about here in a moment, is the visual component to these manifestos. Um, We'll talk a little bit more about the specifics of that. But there's a lot of fun visual stuff going on with the typography and the size of the text changing all over the place and even little symbols sprinkled throughout but i think i like this one because it helps us (laughs) um i think there's just no better way than to hear this or to read this to get a sense of what the movement's spirit feels like so i will not read this whole thing but here's an excerpt from dada manifesto 1918 by tristan zara the magic of a word, dada, which for journalists has opened the door to an unforeseen world, has for us not the slightest importance. To launch a manifesto, you have to want A, B, and C, and fulminate against 1, 2, and 3. Work yourself up and sharpen your wings to conquer and circulate lower and uppercase A's, B's, and C's, sign, shout, swear, organize prose into a form that is absolutely and irrefutably obvious. Prove it's nay plus ultra and maintain that novelty resembles life in the same way as the latest apparition of a harlot proves the essence of God. His existence had already been proved by the accordion, the landscape, and soft words. To impose one's ABC is only natural and therefore regrettable. Everyone does it in the form of crystal bluff Madonna or a monetary system or pharmaceutical preparations, a naked leg being the invitation to an ardent and sterile spring, The love of novelty is a pleasant sort of cross. It's evidence of a naive, don't-give-a-damn attitude, a passing positive, sign without rhyme or reason. But this need is out of date, too. By giving art the impetus of supreme simplicity, novelty, we are being human and true in relation to innocent pleasures, impulsive and vibrant in order to crucify boredom. At the lighted crossroads, alert, attentive, lying in wait for years, in the forest. I am writing a manifesto and there's nothing I want. And yet I'm saying certain things. And in principle, I am against manifestos as I am against principles. Quantifying measures of the moral value of every phrase. Too easy. Approximation was invented by the Impressionists. I'm writing this manifesto to show that you can perform contrary actions at the same time in one single fresh breath. I am against action, as for continual contradiction, and affirmation, too. I am neither for nor against them, and I won't explain myself because I hate common sense. Dada is a word that throws up ideas so that they can be shot down. Every bourgeois is a little playwright who invents different subjects and who, instead of situating suitable characters on the level of his own intelligence, like chrysalis on chairs, tries to find causes or objects, according to whichever psychoanalytic method he practices, to give weight to his plot, a talking and self-defining story. Every spectator is a plotter. If he tries to explain a word, to know— From his padded refuge of serpentine complications, he allows his instincts to be manipulated. Whence the sorrows of conjugal life. To be plain, the amusement of red bellies in the mills of empty skulls. Dada does not mean anything. (laughs) (laughs) So where it says Dada does not mean anything, that type is way bigger than the rest, and there's this big finger pointing at the line itself. So that's pretty funny. Uh, This manifesto goes on, of course, and there's little doodles throughout. There's a passage later where (laughs) Dada is equated to both liberty and disgust. So contradiction, as you can tell from this passage, is key, um, which levels the playing field so that nothing means anything I think <laughs> yeah this
1: reminds me of like when a little kid is learning to ask why and it just doesn't end and you just kind of like get more and more frustrated yeah because the more wise the less you know
0: of course you get to a point where you're just like Because I said so. Yes, Um, that's always how that ends. And the child is not asking why to understand so that then it can be over and they can have that understanding. They're asking why just to be asking why. And I do feel like that's exactly what this is doing is it's making proclamations to perform the act of making proclamations. Like as soon as it says something definitive, it undermines itself immediately. So you have to start over again,
1: yeah, so in hearing this manifesto and reading Tristan sara's poetry, um you and I had this really fun conversation the other day about kind of like when does a dada poem become good, or when does it do something mm-hmm. that is meaningful because you know some of it is like this is meant to be meaningful and it's not it's meant to be forever and it's not it has a duality to it but something that moves me in contemporary poetry which I would you know I would say a lot of my favorite contemporary poets I can see have been influenced and shaped by this movement you know I I wouldn't Mm -hmm. know if they themselves would identify or accept being part of that lineage but yeah, a lot of kind of the experimental poets of today definitely are doing these incredible things that on the page that are subversive. But mm-hmm. when you do catch that thread, has an impact much more powerful than you could have
0: anticipated. <laughs> and perhaps more powerful than what Dada at least means to us now. Yeah. Maybe it was more powerful in its time, but... Um... I don't think that having no thread to hold on to is necessarily a positive thing. (laughs) Yeah. I think it's an interesting exercise in what a group of people were really spending their lives trying to understand what art is and interrogating it like that child, just why, 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 to see if there was anything at the bottom of that.
1: In my experience, like, I do sometimes get to the bottom. I see that they Mm -hmm. got to the bottom. And there's this wild poetry. You're trying to follow wild art. And then it says the truest thing you've ever read in the most beautiful arrangement of words. And I think that is kind of at the core of subversive art where it's like, it just reminds me of, I have a lot of, (laughs) I'm thinking about being a child a lot today when you're kind of like supposed to hit the piñata, but you're spun around and you're just swinging and swinging and swinging and hoping you hit something.
0: Yes. And Dada is like the entire world has thought that hitting the piñata and making the candy fall out is the definition of art. We're saying that spinning around, (laughs) the dance of spinning around Mm -hmm. with a blindfold on is art without hitting anything. Wow.
1: (laughs) Well, I do love that you mentioned the manifestos have a variation of typography. There's symbols in the piece that you just read. There was little stars scattered throughout between sentences, maybe even in the middle of sentences. Mm -hmm. There's just fully different size fonts there's different typography throughout some words are bolded which like from a <laughs> graphic design perspective knowing the technology that they had back then that is a lot of effort yes. it's not just like bolding something in a word doc um, no you gotta like cut paper and glue and Swap out those little printed pieces when you use a press. So, this is a very deliberate, intentional act to disrupt and disorient your reading experience. Yeah, exactly. But if you read Dada work throughout this period, that's kind of a common thing of like disrupting the typography on a page, the shape of a sentence. um, And who I brought as my show and tell for today, is a woman artist. She was a queer Dutch icon, Till Brugman. And so she's considered kind of one of the precursors into the concrete poetry movement. Mm. And so I love concrete poetry. I think that it is clearly, it's the bridge between graphic design and poetry, um, two of the most important pillars in my, in my world. Um, (laughs) And so I'm always looking for the people who brought us there. And this feels like one of the earlier folks that was doing this or was beginning to do this, Till Brugman.
0: Yes. I don't think I have encountered her work. So I'm really excited to hear about her.
1: I can read you her bio just in case anyone's curious. I'll link y'all in the show notes or via our Instagram. But I came across this book called The Dada Market, and it's a little Dada mm. anthology. There's like two women. Yeah,
0: yeah, listed.
1: Classic. So it's a bit <laughs> crushing, but it does have a little snippet of a handful of Dada writers. And so Till Brugman, emerging from relative obscurity, Till Brugman has received more and more attention in recent years. Associated with the Dutch De Stijl Group, headed by Theo van Doesburg and Piet Mondrian, she was interested in geometric art, architecture, and design, grouped under the heading of constructicism. So when you do your research, you're going to learn about the tension between Dada and constructivism um and published in their journal Destige her experiments with the permutation and combination in visual poetry make her one of the earliest precursors of the concrete poetry movement and so we will definitely be posting this picture but nice here is an example of her work
0: oh yeah interesting the gradient of sizes of typography that looks really cool and, you know, poets, poets are doing that now. Poets are doing things like that now. Yeah. It looks like it could be contemporary.
1: It does. It's timeless. Um, But I can try to read it to you using yeah sound. So quieter will be smaller and a little bit louder will be bigger. Wreck. <laughs> rack. Trek. Track. Track. Streak, struck, stricken, struck, stricken, struck. Wreck, rack, track, track, strike, struck, stricken, struck, struck, rack, track, struck, struck, struck.
0: Well done.
1: That was down. I'm
0: sure there's a way to read it across. but that's Well, like I said, this is our interpretive dance episode. And I say <laughs> that to be silly, but, you know, interpretive dance was part of what some of these artists were doing. And I think no one was doing just one art. That's important to understand when you read something like that. It's like this isn't just a poem. Mm. It's a performance piece. Yeah. So thank you for, for adding that element of performance into of course. it.
1: Did you bring someone for our show and tell today,
0: Claire? Yeah. So I wanted to balance out that Tristan Zara manifesto with a woman associated with Dada who also wrote manifestos. And I learned that that was rare because a lot of these art movement manifestos in both Dada and Surrealism The men wrote them. The men signed them. They were the ones associated with the movements. The women were absolutely not. And I know for surrealism, a lot of those women like Remedios Faro and Leonora Carrington and Frida Kahlo, you know, at different points in their careers chose not to be associated with surrealism because they were offended by not being included in the first place. So, I just wanted to point out that some of these women we are calling Dada artists, which is only happening in our time now that we are looking back upon them because we can see that they were part of the movement, even though they weren't technically acknowledged as such, which is tragic and complicated. But it seems like there were a lot of women hanging around the margins of Dada and maybe even more involved than in surrealism. And one of those women is Mina Loy. So in addition to Zurich uh, and Paris, there was also a hub of Dada artists in New York. And I think that a lot of our women Dadaists were part of that circle or part of a modernist circle. There's kind of like a little bit of overlap. Uh, I know that Mina Loy hung out and literary salons with Gertrude Stein, which is really cool. Um, but yeah, she was a poet and she wrote these beautiful manifestos and she was extremely outspoken in her feminism. A lot of women were just trying to make art, right? They, they were just like, this doesn't have to be and nor should have had to be feminist. It was them making art and that was feminist enough um, Mina Loy was really assessing the role of women in her art movement and just in art in general. And so she ended up writing manifestos, one of which is called Feminist Manifesto. And I want to read that. Is that OK?
1: Yes, please read
0: it to us. I'm not going to read the whole thing. It's only a few pages long, but um, I'll read to a natural stopping point and And uh, yeah, we can kind of compare it to the Tristan Zara Father of Dadaism (laughs) Manifesto. Okay. This is Feminist Manifesto by Mina Loy. The feminist movement, as at present instituted, is inadequate. Women, if you want to realize yourselves, you are on the eve of a devastating psychological upheaval. All your pet illusions must be unmasked. The lies of centuries have got to go. Are you prepared for the wrench? There is no half measure, no scratching on the surface of the rubbish heap of tradition will bring about reform. The only method is absolute demolition. Cease to place your confidence in economic legislation, vice crusades, and uniform education. You are glossing over reality. Professional and commercial careers are opening up for you. Is that all you want? And if you honestly desire to find your level without prejudice, be brave and deny at the outset that pathetic claptrap war cry, woman is the equal of man, for she is not. The man who lives a life in which his activities conform to a social code, which is a protectorate of the feminine element, is no longer masculine. The women who adapt themselves to a theoretical valuation of their sex as a relative impersonality are not yet feminine. Leave off looking to men and find out what you are not. Seek within yourselves to find out what you are. As conditions are at present constituted, you have the choice between parasitism and prostitution or negation. Damn, dude. This is so intense. I don't know where to stop.
1: Whoa. Her poetry
0: is a little different than that, but she's hardcore.
1: <laughs> that's intense. Um, May I ask when that was written? Yeah.
0: That's a great question. That manifesto was written in 1914.
1: That was before the manifesto you read earlier.
0: Yes. Wow. Now, I'm not, I, I haven't analyzed it and I'm not going to sit here and say it like holds up or anything, but Nina Loy was very <laughs> intentional about the way she lived her life and she was very aware uh, uh, and angry about <laughs> this division of the sexes, as I'm sure she would have put it. Um, and of course that's a, all along the binary and we have a very different perspective on all of it now, but i would say she was a badass and she was definitely on the side of exploding the status quo when it came to gender and culture and art so i thought that was pretty interesting yeah Yeah, very anti-bourgeoisie claire just rolled her eyes um (laughs) i always roll my eyes at that term yeah But it's true. That's what it was. They yeah. were anti-bourgeoisie.
1: I mean, that's that's Dada at its core.
0: Yeah. Whereas, like, the movement itself was anti-war, anti-capitalist structure, anti-all, even anti-art. Mina Loy was potentially the only one. You know, I'm sure Gertrude Stein and other other women in her circle felt similarly. But as far as the Dadaists go. She was the only one who was actually anti-patriarchy. So, God bless her. Mm -hmm.
1: There was a lot of sincerity in that manifesto compared to the Tristan Zara manifestos.
0: You're right, yeah. His manifestos are so much more tongue-in-cheek, full of sarcasm and humor. And so... One similarity, though, is that on the page, she's also playing with typography. Uh-huh. I don't think I really reflected it as well as you did in my reading, but a lot of those words were huge on the page. And probably that's why I was reading it so intensely. Wow. Yeah. Oh, I
1: see this. Is this published in the Luna Baedeker book? The
0: Lost Lunar Baedeker. Yes. She's really intellectual and really heady, but I know that she would show up to parties like dressed in these outlandish costumes and was always doing some kind of bizarre performance art. So I think she had a lot of play in her as well that does not come through in the manifesto.
1: (laughs) Oh, I love it. I'm always so inspired when I read about these artists, when I read their work, when I look through my giant art book um it's a really incredible reminder of the importance of play and yeah and maybe the art that it
0: it brings to the surface yeah play as anarchy i would say yeah (laughs) in a phrase um and i would say
1: that after the series of just global trauma that we've all experienced collectively and Mm -hmm. continue to experience. um, I'd say we're due for some play.
0: Yeah. I think we're all interested in dismantling structures. That's a, that's a little phrase that gets thrown around a lot. Um, And I think people are trying to do that, you know, in the ways that they know how. And um, a lot of times in art and in poetry, that means dismantling it through rational thought and exposure and lots of other great things. But I think there's a place for the irrational as well, yeah. which Dada sort of paved the way for us. What a thrill. Okay, listener, do you now know what Dada is?
1: <laughs> you, you, you tell us. <laughs> yeah, you tell us. Um, yeah. So hopefully this inspires you all to, to write and to play and to dig a little deeper in these movements. Um, yeah, I was going to say that, Claire, you're going to provide some
0: reading materials and recommendations. Um, Absolutely. And right now I'm going to give everyone some homework. Oh. Um, your homework is to write a Dada manifesto. <gasps> <laughs> I've done it. It's an absolute blast. So I highly encourage anyone interested in really just busting open their brain and finding some kind of new neural pathway to explore through whatever your art form is to start by writing a da-da manifesto and letting that mean whatever it means to you. I'm stoked.
1: If you write a great manifesto, tag us on Instagram or Twitter. Yeah. Not Facebook. Facebook's gross. Dismantle Facebook.
0: Dismantle Facebook. A manifesto.
1: (laughs) Okay, I feel very content with getting a little context as to what Dara is. Um, We do have some really exciting information that we want Mm -hmm. to leave you all with. We've got some really fun things happening. Mm -hmm. So by the time you hear this, Gemini Gospel by Bianca Elisa Perez is going to be ready to pre-order. And you can just go to hostpublications.com and add to cart. It's $10 and then shipping, and we're really excited. So this is kind of what we've been finalizing this past month completely, just 100% Gemini gospel. Bianca is a dream to work with, and you're going to get to hear a little bit from her later this season. And another big one, we're open for submissions. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, We're going to be closing on St. Patrick's Day. So if you're drinking a green beer
0: or, like, (laughs) painting your body green or... If you're wandering down the street and you're like, why is everyone wearing green, our submissions have closed. Yeah. Or (laughs) you
1: have till midnight.
0: Yes, you have till midnight. As soon as you start seeing some green nonsense, you have till midnight.
1: But um, we link you out to our submittable for our website and... Yeah, our fee is $10, but we're very generous and are happy to provide a fee waiver. So just reach out, shoot us an email or a message on Instagram, and we'll make sure that you're squared away. But, but yeah, I'm sure we'll do a mini-sit about what we're looking for. But if you're familiar with our nine other poets <laughs> – so this is going to be our 10th winner yeah. coming up – Um. Then you kind of know what we love, and if you've been listening to this podcast, you're very familiar with writers we love, admire, respect, and see the world in, so. Yes. Anything else you want to add, Claire? Did I miss
0: anything else? No, it's just... So exciting and definitely pre-order Bianca's book, Gemini Gospel, if you can, because all pre-orders will come with a little bit of swag, a custom made pencil and a postcard and a playlist. So go for it when you see that pre-orders are live. Yeah.
1: Well, this has been a great start to season four. Yeah. We're really grateful to everyone that tunes in and is part of our community. Um, is this goodbye? I think it is. Until next time. Until next time, y'all.